Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. My name is David Baker, uh, one of the hosts, and glad that you're here. Uh, if you're following the dates, we took a few um, weeks off with some things that were going on. I'm going to tell you about that and make a podcast out of it. Uh, down the road, we've got our um, regular co-host, uh, my son-in-law, Brother Tim Peterson, coming back, and a few other episodes planned with some guests in it, so uh, we're looking forward to that. A lot of good things going on. So uh, let me tell you about what I was doing in the past few um, weeks and why we had the little break. So back in uh, November of last year, uh, the, our county Republican Party asked if I would speak at a veterans uh, dinner. And I'm being a veteran, member of the 82nd Airborne Division, I said, sure, I would love to. The lady that asked me to speak uh, said, you can speak on whatever you want, but what do you think about speaking on Christians being involved in politics? I'm like, sure, I'd be glad to. Everyone ought to vote and be involved. And so I spoke that night, and it went very well. At the end of that, everyone started asking me to run for this and run for that and uh, run for office. And I smiled and said, thank you. I'm a preacher, not a politician, and just pushed it aside. Now, what happened from there, our state representative uh, who had retired asked if I would run for county mayor. Then a few other people asked me that. Then every week I was getting asked that. And uh, I just laughed and said, thank you. No, thank you. I'm a preacher, not a politician. And I took what I spoke on that night and put it into a book. And uh, the title is called How Christians Can Save America. And in there, we use Edmund Burke's quote where he said, the only thing necessary for the tribe of evil is that good men do nothing. And with all the people asking me, I finally felt compelled. Okay, God, is this something you want me to do? If you do, then please make it clear. And I typed up a list of eight things and said, God, if this is what you want me to do, then, um, then uh, I need these things to happen. And within two weeks, every one of those things happened. Things out of the blue, things that were no way a coincidence, so felt compelled. I did not win, for which I'm glad. <laughs> I worked hard and put a lot of time into it. Uh, and I was not going to leave the pastorate at all. Wouldn't, 
not would not ever do that. That's a calling. But um, I have heard of other people. And by, by the way, in the 1800s, they said that almost every town, uh, their mayor was also a pastor. And I know of other pastors that are also mayors and something you can do uh, at the same time, pastor church, but also uh, help run the business of the county or the city. And so um, I didn't win, but there's a lot of neat things that came out of it from uh, people being saved to God clearing up things and fixing things and things you learned a lot. And uh, one of the things was this book on how Christians can save America. And and so I want to talk a little bit about one of the issues of that um, in this podcast, and it's called The Separation of Church and State. Most of you already know this, but some people don't. And when you don't understand it, it is really a big deal. Um, What is being told by the liberal people is that separation of church and state is in the Constitution. And that means a Christian is not supposed to be involved in politics. You're supposed to separate that. I don't know how many times I've commented on a political post or made a political post through the years. And somebody invariably will come on and say, what? You're a pastor. You're not supposed to talk about that. Have you ever read the Constitution? Separation of church and state. I'll go, okay. Could you please show me in the Constitution where it says the separation of church and state? And even uh, more, what that means. What are you talking about in that? And so one of the things that liberals have done is to push to get Christians out of politics. There are certain groups that teach Christians shouldn't even vote, um, and not just the Amish. I mean, other groups and religions that said, nope, that's not something Christians should be a part of. Um, But that's not biblical. And you can look and see from the Bible that um, Christians were involved. Paul was involved with the governors and with the kings. And with the um, 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 Caesar, and uh, he was involved in that. Uh, now again, he didn't run for office. It was a different, uh, a different type uh, system back then. But in our country, America, uh, we have the ability to choose people that will uh, govern us, and so to not be involved in that. Is amazing. So we believe in life. We believe life begins at conception. We've talked about that. Um, we have in our country, we've had a change in the past uh, couple months about that where Roe versus Wade is overturned and now the states can decide. Now, the last one of the last podcasts I did, I talked about how that should be a federal issue because um, the federal government wasn't given much to do, but they were given um, the authority to protect life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. And so protect life, that baby is life. The federal government should do that. As we can see in all the states and all the politics of it, it is going to be a gigantic mess. And it is already uh, the, the four abortion people are stirred up, putting money, time, getting their people elected, changing things. And every state is going to be a battle from now till Jesus comes. Where if the federal government had done their job and said, nope, We are to protect life, and this is going to protect life in all 50 states. We wouldn't have that issue. And so, um, but anyway, Roe versus Wade got overturned. And yes, we're glad of that. And many states, like ours in Tennessee, uh, will have a very strong pro-life message, and abortion, on the most part, will not be allowed in our state. And that's a good thing, but it should go nationwide. So, how do we get that? How did Roe versus Wade get overturned? Because of politics. 
we got a president in that was strongly pro-life. By the way, I didn't think he would be in the first, but he ended up being, for whatever reason, whether the people that helped him put the picks on the that list that he made for Supreme Court or whether he had a come-to-Jesus moment and believes that baby is life, but he chose three people. He got to choose three people to sit on the Supreme Court in one four-year election, which was incredible, and those three people, because of that, overturned Roe versus Wade. Now, imagine if Hillary Clinton had been the president and she had gotten to put three picks on the Supreme Court. Do you think Roe versus Wade would have been overturned? Absolutely not. Okay. And so does it matter? Absolutely. Should Christians be involved? Absolutely. We should do something. We should understand the way that that's going to be. So I wanted to take a little time in this um, in this podcast to talk about separation church and state and to understand what it is, truly understand what it is, and to make sure we can teach that and preach that and help correct people because they say in the numbers, some 40 million Christians, I don't know if they're saved, born again, but who claim to be Christian, some 40 million Christian in America don't vote. Don't vote. 40 million. They say 15 million Americans, uh, Christians, aren't even registered to vote. If they would vote any type of biblical principle at all, the other side wouldn't be able to cheat as much and we could turn this country back around to have more of a God in our country and in our life than what the previous generation of people have tried to do to take God out of that, okay? So the big argument is separation church and state, you shouldn't even be in politics. It's amazing how many people have said that uh, to me and posted that. And of course, running for mayor, uh, that big thing came up also. Listen, I didn't give up my First Amendment right of freedom of speech just when I became a pastor. I'm a veteran. I served our country, willing to fight and die for our country. Uh, um, And so I believe I retained that right no matter what my occupation is. So simply put, separation of church and state means that the church and state should not be married. They should not be together as one. The state should not control the church, and the church should not control the state. And when we say the church, it is the state church, okay? Should Christians control the state? Absolutely. Every Christian should vote, and we should vote on biblical principles, and Christians should control the state. Absolutely, okay? But there should not be a church, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Congregationalist Church, um, the Baptist Church, any church denomination that is controlling the state, and that's what we have. So the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, okay? Okay. Let's stop there. That's the phrase. It's called the Establishment Clause. Congress. By the way, it doesn't even say that states can't do that. We'll get to that in a minute. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Basically, all that means is Congress cannot make a law to set up an established religion, a state religion, like the countries in Europe from which they came. All the countries in Europe had a state church had a state church, which meant if you were not of that church, then you were persecuted. That's why they came to America, where they could have their church, their religion, and exercise their religion the way they see fit without being controlled or persecuted by the state, okay? Lutheran church in Germany, the Church of England in 
England, Presbyterian Church in Switzerland, the Catholic Church in Italy, and so many other uh, countries, you had the state and the church were married, okay? And uh, the church would control the state, the state would control the church, they're married together, and anyone that was not in that state church then is persecuted. Um, The pastors were employees of the government and had to toe the party line. By the way, there are people in America that tried to do that too by paying some churches to promote their pandemic, paying them to promote their agenda. Um, and uh, that thing is going on even in our country today. So when this country was started, there were people that were concerned that these new United States would adopt a state religion. And if that were the case, the other religions would be persecuted. Many of the individual colonies had state religions when they were founded, and they lasted decades after the founding of the country. The states that had the Anglican Church or the Church of England as their state church were Virginia, New York, Maryland, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Their state church, okay, they voted in a state church for those states, and that was Anglican or the Church of England. Uh, There were some states that had the Congregationalist Church. That was a big church uh, movement back then. Those were Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire. Uh, Some of these lasted for a long time. Maryland had their state church until 1867. North Carolina had theirs until 1875. That's almost 100 years after the nation's founding. So... When people say, oh, oh, you, you can't have that, the states did for almost 100 years because the law or the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law, okay? Now, we don't have that now. There's no state that has a state religion, but some states had that for up to 100 years. Separation of church and state just meant that the new country wasn't going to have a state church. Simple. The new country wasn't going to establish a religion as the state religion. Establishment generally meant that the government provided direct aid to the church and the pastor's salary. Whoever pays you is who you listen to and to whom you are loyal. Therefore, uh, the pastor was working for the government. He would say what they wanted him to say. So what happened? Where did separation of church and state come from? Very simple. The members of the Danbury Baptist Association in Danbury, Connecticut, they were concerned about the influence of government on religion. They stated that if the right to practice our religion was granted by the government, then it could be taken away. Amen? Okay? We understand inalienable rights given to us by our Creator. So if the government granted us the right of freedom of religion, then the government could take that away. Okay, this is part of the letter they wrote to President Thomas Jefferson. Okay, here it is. But sir, our constitution of government is not specific. Our ancient charter together with the law made coincident therewith were adopted on the basis of our government at the time of our revolution and such has been our laws and usages and such still are. That religion is considered as the first object of legislation. And therefore, what religious privileges we enjoy as a minor part of the state, we enjoy as favors granted and not as an alienable right. Do you understand their concern? Okay, so that was the first thing they took up, the First Amendment. So the government gave us our rights to the freedom of religion, then the government could therefore take away that. They were concerned about that. Thomas Jefferson wrote them back January 1st, 1802, and here was part of his answer. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, 
I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should, quote, make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, quote, end quote, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. That's it. That's where it came from. A letter, not the Constitution, not an amendment, a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist explaining to them the First Amendment says that we will not establish a religion, we're not going to prohibit your free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state, meaning the state is not going to tell the church and Christians what they're supposed to do. That's it. There's nothing about Christians not being involved in politics. Um, it was to keep government from interfering in the practice of religion. When our country first started, Christian involvement in politics was wanted. Many states had religious tests that you had to be faithful to church and be even moral to run for office. Okay, We don't have that today, but they did then. You understand the founding, they wanted moral Christians to be a part of the leadership of government. Um, the people wanted Christians to be involved and to run for office. Um, by the way, a wrong understanding and argument of separation of church and state made the Supreme Court take the Bible out of schools take prayer out of schools, take the Ten Commandments out of schools, because they said, oh, if you have that, you'll be establishing a religion. Again, that's a wrong view of what separation of church and state meant. Those things need to be turned over and turned around. Uh, our schools are gone, the government's gone, and don't know if those things will ever happen. But a wrong understanding of separation of church and state is how we lost that. Um, okay, so to be able to understand, Christians, should we be involved? Absolutely. Should Christians be a part? Absolutely. Should Christians run and, uh, and uh, be the ones that lead? Absolutely. Should we lead by biblical principles? Yes, we should. We should do something, okay? Now, please understand, uh, this will be a shorter podcast, but please understand, I'm not saying, oh, leave the ministry and uh, and go run for politics. Absolutely not. Running for mayor, people say, you're going to stick on a pastor? Absolutely, okay? If I had one, I would still have pastored. I'm not going to leave the pastorate to go do something in the secular realm but can God do that? Now, uh, for Christians that are not in full-time ministry, to be able to run for school boards and run for um, county commission and city council and mayors and, and state house and reps in, in Washington, absolutely, they should. Uh, because if Christians were living by biblical principle and they were our leaders, then our laws would get back to common sense biblical principles instead of uh, what we're having and what we're getting now, okay? Uh, it is a major, major place to, to do and be a part of that. Uh, Christian, should we get out of um, the ministry and should we, uh, I know many times that the moral majority, that was before my time, but uh, people quit being a bus captain, became a precinct captain. Absolutely not. The gospel and people saved is still, and it has to be the number one thing, the number one issue, the number one uh, reason of why we are, but could God use someone and could God use us to be a part of that? So many times Christians are so afraid to even teach or preach and pastors are afraid to teach and preach against that because of the fear of, oh no, they're threatening to take away our tax exempt status and we could be taxed as a church. We should not be afraid of that. That is, they're muzzling the ox that treadeth out the corn. They're saying, be careful, you can't say this or this or this, or we're going to come after you. By the way, there are whole groups of churches that every election period endorses a candidate. <gasps> no, you can't do that. They endorse it, they put it on video, and they send it to the IRS and say, please sue us. Please sue us, because they know they'll win. Because the Constitution, the government can't control what a church says and what a church does. You can't do that. 
And so we should not be afraid of that. We should teach it. We should preach it. We should help people. We should understand. Uh, at the recording of this, it's now August, almost September. Uh, election will be coming up in November, the midterm. Should we teach and preach and talk about those principles and biblical issues? Absolutely. Should we explain the different platforms uh, of what people believe? One hates God and pushes LGBTQ, uh, pushes um, abortions, pushes all types of ungodly things. Um, the other one stands against those. Um, are they perfect? No, um, absolutely not. And it will never be because they're people and they're humans. But we should vote for the best that is standing by biblical principles. And if not, you see what's happening. They will take away and take away and take away our freedoms. In California right now, okay, in California right now, there's a proposition that's on the ballot that if it passes, if a parent's child at six or seven or eight says, little boy says, you know, I want to be a girl. The parents can't stop it. Do you understand? The parents can't stop it. So they can wear dresses and change their name and start on puberty blockers when they need to. Um, the parents can't stop it because that's what the child decided and what the child wants to be. Um, do you understand how big this is? Imagine that. The control of that. Um, and that's done by what? Politics. Are we supposed to be involved? Absolutely. At minimum, the Bible says, Paul said to pray for all that are in authority that we may lead a what? Quiet and peaceful life. Yes, we're supposed to be involved. Minimum, we're supposed to pray. Uh, read about the Black Robe Regiment and see how involved the preachers were, the Black Robes, how involved they were in the revolution. We would not have our country, by most historians say, if there was not the Black Robe Regiment, the preachers that were preaching uh, truth and liberty and freedom, um, biblical principles that we should have. Uh, if they were not preaching that, uh, we would not have the country that we have today. And so understand separation of church and state. Understand that. I'm not pushing or promoting a book, but if you, um, if you want the digital copy, I'll send you a PDF for free, okay? And you can go get it on Amazon. It's uh, David Baker, How Christians Can Save America. Uh, if you want to email me, the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com, and I'll send you a digital copy of it, okay? Um, again, I think you'd like a print copy of it, but you can get a digital copy for free uh, as a PDF and read it, see it. It's a short book, but to be able to understand what we need to have. I think churches ought to buy them and give them to all the people in our church church, in their church, and be able to help them to know this issue, that we should be involved, that we should vote, that we should uh, do something, because the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And that's what's happening today. You look and see in our bathrooms, transgenderism, um, girls in a locker room getting dressed and a boy comes in there, fully male, and is able to take a shower there with girls, and that's legal, and you can't say anything about it. That's wrong, okay? That, that is wrong. How did that get to happen? because they have squelled Christians from saying anything. You cannot push your biblical morality on us. This person identifies as a female, so they're allowed to go in a female locker room. Oh, this person identifies as a female, but she, who's a he, likes girls. So it's a man who likes looking at naked women, but he says he's a girl and he likes girls, so he's really a transgender female that's a lesbian? What a mess. What junk that is. I'm the chaplain of county jail, and there's some of these prisons that are allowing, quote, transgender uh, males to go into female prisons because they identify as a female. Well, pretty soon, guess what's happening? These females in prison are getting pregnant. Oh, maybe they're not as uh, uh, female as they think they are. 
It's a mess. It's perversion. It's against God. It's wrong. And why? Why do these things happen? Because good men do nothing. Preachers and Christians aren't willing to stand, aren't willing to preach, aren't willing to teach, aren't willing to make these things known. Um, and because of that, we're losing our freedoms over and over and over to see what's happening in our country. Uh, it's because of us. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Again, in closing, Roe versus Wade was overturned because of a president that appointed three people to the Supreme Court that when an issue came before them, they took the case and they overturned Roe versus Wade. Somewhat 60 million babies have been murdered since 1973. And by the way, why in 1973 was that even passed? Everybody, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, says if you know anything about the law, to be able to try to prove by the 7th and 14th Amendment, this right of privacy that's not in there, by the right of privacy, I can murder my baby if I want to. That's the argument, okay? That's the legal argument. And they all said that's horrible legal law and president. How did it get to be that way? Because the presidents back then put liberal people on the court who did not believe in the original Constitution, did not believe in the originalism. You could create it to mean whatever you wanted it to mean. That's how we have that. Please understand, by people not preaching and teaching and living and voting for the right people, we put presidents in that put liberal people on the court that allowed Roe versus Wade to happen. 60 million babies murdered. Why? Because Christians were not involved. I believe that. I believe you can prove that because if all the Christians who claim to be Christians were voting by biblical principle, do you believe it's okay to murder a baby? Um, yes. Okay, oh, not voting for you. If we just stood on that one principle, that one issue, Roe versus, Roe versus Wade would never have happened. Never. It is a big deal. Hey, understand, separate your church and state. Teach it. Preach it. Understand it. Get this book. There's a lot more things in there that can be very helpful. Okay? Hey, God bless you. We'll look forward to having uh, our guest and uh, co-hosts and things next time. And I uh, hope you'll uh, stay in and come and be a part. God bless and take care. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.